Hello, and welcome to another edition of the BJ Psych Advances podcast. My name is Oliver Gell Grant, and I'm joined today by Thomas Brunt, a CT psychiatrist at South London Wardsley NHS Foundation Trust. And we're here to discuss his new paper, Telepsychiatry What Clinicians Need to Know About Digital Mental Health Care, which is published in BJ Psych Advances. This will be a slightly unusual podcast in that I am the other co author of this paper. Um, but I will continue as the interviewer and him as the interviewee. Tom, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Amy Oliver. Um, and thank you for working with me on this paper. No, not at all. A pleasure. So uh, tell us, what's this paper all about? So telepsychiatry has become an increasingly uh, important issue in psychiatric practice, as we've seen with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, there's, there's never before been a, uh, such an unprecedented level of an introduction or an adaptation of a new way of delivering psychiatric care um, so quickly, um, due to out of necessity more than anything else. So I guess the paper is kind of examining sort of three things, really. It's kind of the history of telepsychiatry that we're aware of um, in Western medicine, sort of looking at the evidence regarding the efficacy of telepsychiatry um, and kind of looking at what limitations we might see in using telepsychiatry in our practice. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, I think, uh, as you say, the first part of the paper that I think lots of people won't really be that aware of is actually the history of uh, telepsychiatry, which is longer than most people might think. Yes, uh, absolutely. So interestingly, it probably was tr initially trialed in the 1970s in the USA, the US being a very, very large country. There's an awful large rural population where it's diff very difficult to provide sort of in-person psychiatric care. So what kind of was trialed um, as an adoption was a two-way video system between teaching hospitals and small rural clinics. Um, we saw this specifically in kind of a Nebraska area uh, where a patient would attend one of these satellite clinics in a waiting room with a member of staff present and they would then engage in essentially a video telephone call with the clinician to perform a psychiatric assessment or, or otherwise. The technology obviously was very different at the time compared to how it is now. And, and there were quite significant limitations, to be honest, initially. Um, you know, data transfer speeds were very slow. So natural conversation was very, very difficult. So it was much more difficult to engage in kind of realistic assessment and, and sort of fluid conversation that you might see in sort of more modern technology now. Um, and, and to be honest, telepsychiatry programs have more so been through kind of research means rather than clinical means sort of previously. Um, I think with the advent of things like Zoom, that we're using on this meeting, in fact, today, um, and teams, you know, people are able to actually engage in sort of practical clinical care, whereas before there's been a lot of kind of research involvement or the use of sort of talking therapies via um, teleconferencing as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, it's, uh, uh, that's exactly it. Although this has been going on since 1970, probably a lot of the early, um, the early work was almost unrecognisable to what modern uh, telepsychiatry looks like. But I, I guess... The, the, the COVID pandemic has, has obviously meant that almost everyone is carrying out uh, remote assessments. But I think it's the case, right, that before COVID, almost no one was routinely performing remote psychiatry assessments. No, absolutely. It, it's kind of not been heavily adopted at all. In fact, even looking at kind of what research there is around it, you know, there are RTCs available. Most of it is around kind of delivering specifically sort of psychotherapy. So CBT has one of the biggest, biggest evidence bases um, in using telepsychiatry. But, and again, a lot of the data specifically only looks at in-clinic video conferencing. So patients who attend clinics, they may see a member of staff, they may see another clinician who's there, and then speak with a separate clinician 
via teleconference. You may even be in the same building, in fact. And what we're seeing a huge increase in now is in-home use of teleconferencing. So patients using Teams or their phone or, or whatever modality um, directly from their home, directly to the clinician themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a really important point, right? Because uh, as you say, the majority of research evidence covers a modality of care that is basically not what's being carried out. But the results of those RCTs that do exist, I mean, yeah, there's the limitation that, as you say, they can be focused on things that are very different to what we're doing in our day-to-day practice. But the majority of the RCTs that do exist, I think it's fair to say, are sort of semi-reassuring. How, how would you summarize them? Yeah, absolutely. There seems to be, um, usually the evidence base demonstrates sort of broadly a non-inferiority or an ever so slight uh, superiority uh, for in-based modalities for, for very particular things as well. You know, it, it's it's looking at a broad topic of, you know, either diagnostic criteria or, or whatever's being delivered, you know, if we're comparing psychiatric assessments versus delivery of psychotherapy, for instance. But I mean, broadly speaking, there seems to be sort of pretty comparable outcomes for delivering telepsychiatry versus inpatient care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one um, thing I'd add to that is that there is, and uh, we show this in table one of, of the manuscript, there is this slight difference, right, between telepsychiatry that's delivered in the clinic. So as you were describing with like video screens and things and seeing two clinicians, one's on a video, one's in person, that is basically the same as seeing someone in person. But there is this slight difference, isn't there, with the few RCTs that actually examine delivering telepsychiatry in the person's home? Yes. So if, if we actually look at table one within um, the paper, it does compare telepsychiatry delivered in the clinic versus in the patient's home. Um, and we can see that in clinic, to be honest, the, the outcome is, is very little difference whatsoever. Um, whereas in the patient's home, there is actually uh, evidence that in-person therapy is actually slightly more effective. Yeah. And I think that's uh, yeah, it's really, really important because obviously what, what we've mostly done during the pandemic and what we mostly continue to do is uh, deliver telepsychiatry to people in their own homes. You know, I don't think since the pandemic, no, no one is inviting people to come to a clinic and sit and watch a video screen, are they? It's the fact is you're mostly t- talking to people on their smartphones, on their laptops, um, in their own homes. So I think that's an important point. I think the other thing we should talk about with these RCTs that do exist is that they are in some quite specific patient populations with some sp- quite specific conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And most of the evidence seems to be around patients that would be described as having a depressive illness. There is actually not a tremendous amount of evidence for things such as psychosis, anxiety disorders, personality disorders, which is a large part of our practice. And especially when we look at, and for instance, the community team I've just been working recently, very fortunately, the Lambeth Home Treatment Team, um, a large proportion of our caseload may be suffering from bipolar or or schizophrenic illnesses, but the evidence is not necessarily there for using telepsychiatry for that, despite the fact that we use it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the other thing to to point out about these RCTs, as well as the fact that they are, as you say, mostly focused around depression uh, and PTSD, is that a large number of these RCTs are carried out in in one setting, which is basically US Army veterans. So a huge amount of this is coming from research in US veteran healthcare networks. Um, It's probably like almost half of all RCTs in existence are in that very specific population that obviously has very specific experiences, very specific problems. Um, you know, that may not be translatable to lots of people's individual practice. But apart from, you know, that's quite a quite a, a gloomy message. I guess uh, we should talk about some of the nice things about telepsychiatry. So there's some evidence, right, that people like it, both patients and clinicians. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, asking patients 
specifically whether they would like to use telepsychiatry. Things like Teams is very common in our trust, for instance. Um, a lot of younger patients, especially people who are more technologically able, um, do often very much prefer it. It's it's very accessible. Uh, it means that patients don't necessarily have to travel to a clinic or attend an appointment. They can just log in on their own computer at the comfort of their own home. Um, clinicians have reported sort of, you know, that they find it quite easy to use. They've demonstrated that, to be honest, in terms of sort of mental state examinations, so, you know, the wheelhouse of our practice, that observation and examination via video call may have sort of 75% or greater comparability compared to in-person assessments themselves. So that's very reassuring um, in terms of sort of quality of assessment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there's, there's you know, when, when we looked at the, this part of the literature, there's there's almost no study, right, that shows that people don't like it. So basically every study of patient or clinician acceptability shows that most people find it acceptable to have a remotely delivered um, psychiatric appointment, which I think is probably what most people have found in their practice in the last few years is that people don't mind to be seen virtually. Now, I, I guess the other important thing is about, uh, you just touched on, is about the diagnostic reliability. So, you know, whether the um, whether the person enjoys the uh, assessment is one thing, but whether you can actually accomplish what you wish to accomplish is another question. But that part of the literature is also quite good. Uh, it's also quite pro-telepsychiatry, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They clearly demonstrates that you are able to carry out assessments. Um, and in fact, that's even been used in kind of emergency settings. Whilst this is potentially limitation, um, using telepsychiatry, you know, it has been used to bring in specialists. There, there may be the theoretical possibility of bringing in, for instance, in mental health assessments, a section 12 doctor to assess via video conferencing. The diagnostic reliability is it, very good, demonstrably, with a lot of RCTs that we see in many different settings as well, sort of within CAMS, within adult settings as well. Yeah. So that is, you know, that is also, I guess, a, a pro uh, remote psychiatry fact. We've touched a few times during this chat and in the paper on the limitations of telepsychiatry. I mean, there are some problems that still don't go away, right? Um, what, what are the main issues that we've got with uh, the mass use of telepsychiatry? Absolutely. And um, I guess sort of this kind of level of use has been unprecedented. And one of the potential pitfalls of that is, is to be honest, a legal framework. It's it's difficult to say, you know, whether, you know, our current medical legal systems allow or I guess have accounted for the fact that we are retaining a lot of information digitally for a lot of patients. The video video calls are being made um, containing a lot of confidential information, which may be stored on third party servers. There isn't at present a long term solution for this and something that really needs to be identified. Um, I suppose something that is sort of similar to that or, or along those lines is the fact that patients may now opt to have their care in a completely different geographical location. So you may have the patients being seen potentially in an entirely different country. And then we have to think, how does that work in the sense of licensing? You know, as, as a UK licensed doctor, can you practice psychiatry for a patient that you know, but may be living um, even outside of the EU, so sort of say on a different continent? That hasn't necessarily been determined yet, medically, legally, how that would work. So that's something that certainly needs to be looked into. And I suppose, I think probably one of the most important limitations potentially of using telepsychiatry is accessibility. It is not necessarily that simple for some patients to use the information technology that we would use for video conferencing. And in fact, that we see that especially el- more elderly patients or older patients 
disproportionately find it more difficult or, or at least don't want to engage with telepsychiatry services compared to in-person assessment mm-hmm. or, or review. I mean, for sure, there's going to be a cohort of people that will be unable to access it simply due to not having the necessary technology or not having a private space to talk or, or whatever reason. I do find the the issues of, of, of uh, clinical governance fascinating. I mean, I'm sure many doctors listening to this will remember moments in their careers in which they've been very, very clearly told in no uncertain terms to not use WhatsApp for confidential patient data. Um, you know, I, I think I think this is true that people mm. have received formal cautions for uh, transmitting uh, patient identifiable data via WhatsApp. This pre-pandemic was viewed as you know a, a um, an unsuitable source, but obviously post-pandemic, you know, making a WhatsApp video call to a patient is now a completely mainstream practice. And I think this this sudden transformation is is difficult to understand really. And I think, um, as you say, no one's really uh, got a solution to this, or no one's really talking about the issues that this raises. I don't think any trust, and maybe this is not true and someone will probably correct me if it isn't, I'm not sure that any trust has their own in-house video conferencing system yet. So yeah, this is this is a, a potential pitfall that I think um, at some time at some time or another is surely about to be tested in court. So with, 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 with all that in mind, having taken a pretty good look at the relevant literature, what would you say uh, is, is the most evidence-based way to be carrying out telepsychiatry in your own personal practice? What would you say to a random psychiatrist that says to you, should I continue to see people via video, Tom, or shall I take them all to the clinic? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I, I would I would caution, I would say, that there is limited or in some instances no evidence of the efficacy of uh, delivering psychiatric care remotely compared to in person in most circumstances. As we've covered already, for certain diagnostic formulations, there is very little evidence. Um, and it seems, to be honest, that a more pragmatic approach would be to kind of use a combination of telepsychiatry and in-person care. I mean, I think a lot of this, to be honest, is, is also dependent on patient preference. So I think that it may, you know, giving remote care may not be suitable for all patients, although some may actually prefer it. And I think it's important to allow the patient to make that choice if it's possible within the remit of whatever team you might be working in or service. You know, it's, it's important to bear in mind as well that, as we've mentioned before, diagnostic reliability doesn't seem to be altered by remote assessment. And that it is, you know, it's, it's not more or less well evidenced in, in certain settings used. So that's reassuring in the sense that the fact that in a lot of places, we're still continuing to use that regardless of kind of what evidence currently exists. So, yeah, as we say, consider patient choice and kind of a combination of care seems to be the most pragmatic approach. I think it's, um, it's something we haven't really covered in, the, in this paper, but I think one absolutely fascinating aspect of the rapid transition to, to remote delivered psychiatric care is just as you say, how little difference it seems to make. So clearly there are people that enjoy this. Clearly there are people that are able to get a good um, therapeutic relationship with with their clinician going remotely. And I think that there's this interesting angle that we didn't really talk about, which is that most people remember early in their training being told about a mental state examination and make sure you look how the patient's sitting, make sure you see if they're tapping their foot, make sure you look how they're dressed, make sure you look at their possessions, see if they've brought something unusual in a bag. You know, All these things are, are said. It's, it is difficult to do a lot of that remotely. You know, in, in a video call, you typically can see it most of the person's face and you may be able to tell what their kind of affect is from that, but you can't synthesize nearly the same level of information you could in person. But um, certainly from research evidence of things like diagnostic reliability and therapeutic reliance, it just doesn't seem to make a difference. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I think it'd be very interesting going forwards as we have more experience with telepsychiatry and I guess, you know, seeing in the years to come, as we said, even though a lot of kind of the COVID restrictions within our practice have come and gone, it still remains very present in our, in our care. And it'd be very interesting to see 
sort of the more research that comes out over time, sort of five years, 10 years out of the pandemic, if those outcomes remain steady, you know, if we continue to see that. And then, and then I guess kind of what that says about our practice as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right that one thing, one thing that's clear is that telepsychiatry is here to stay. You know, multiple trusts are advertising for uh, entirely remote consultant positions. There is a huge number of private third-party apps that are delivering remote psychiatric or psychological care in, in, in some way or another that are gaining more and more traction. So it's certainly not going to go away. Um, and as you say, the interesting thing will be to see if, if the next round of RCTs that come out in the kind of post-COVID smartphone era are going to show something different or not. I, I suppose um, one, one final thing before we finish that we should touch on is uh, why it's here to stay. I mean, I guess one aspect of it is that there's patient preference and is that clearly there are some people that find this more convenient or even easier therapeutically to speak via a video call. Another aspect is that there is a great opportunity with telepsychiatry to firstly limit the cost of running your service, which is important everywhere, but secondly, to deliver psychiatry to places that it can't easily be delivered. So what do you think about those positives? Yes, I mean, yeah, I think we all, well, I guess at a larger level, we do think about the cost of delivering services, you know, perhaps less so as a, as a core trainee, but more so when we're thinking about management and consultant care teleconferencing is undoubtedly considerably cheaper. And and in part of that, it, it relies on patients having access to existing technology already, which kind of is built into the cost. You know, is, is that going to be something in the future that we would need to ensure that patients have access to to an iPad or, or a smartphone or something to allow them to be able to engage in, in uh, you know, the, the mental health services that they need to access? I think, you know, from a cost standpoint, it's very interesting. And I'd like to see how that impacts on, on sort of its provision. I think the second the second aspect that is uh, very positive is that you know in England is a, a small country with a with a, a dense population, but we still have large areas of England in which uh, psychiatrists are simply not that available. In you know lots of lots of rural England, it's not that easy to see a psychiatrist. Jobs stay open for a very long time. Struggles to recruit people, and I think something that's uh, a potential huge positive, and this hasn't really started yet, but something that's a potential huge positive is there's nothing to stop you uh, or me in London from seeing someone in you know, a part of rural England where psychiatry care is not very readily available. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if that develops over the next few years uh, here and elsewhere. Yeah, and I think especially given, I, I know it's London, especially in our trust in South London, Maudsley, uh, a lot of care is divided geographically. It's very much funding and access to services determined by where your address is or where your GP is. And with the reduced constraints of having to be in person for delivering certain care, will that mean that there'll be more centrally offered psychiatric services to other parts of the country? Um, it'd be very interesting to see. Absolutely. Um, so lots to think about. I think, uh, as you say, it's not an entirely evidence-based part of psychiatry, but it is uh, 100% one that's here to stay. So that was Dr. Thomas Brunt. We were discussing his new paper, Telepsychiatry, What Clinicians Need to Know About Digital Mental Health Care, uh, published in BJ Psych Advances. Tom, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych Advances podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.